Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan, joined as always by my friend and the founder and CEO of Startups.com, Will Schroeder. Will, this is our official first episode of 2023. And man, what a year 2022 was, I believe you've said, according to TechCrunch, uh, worst year in startup history in, in a long time, right? Tough year, tough year for everybody. Tough year for everybody. So given that the market conditions are what they are, given all of the shit that we're seeing right now and the things that we're having to deal with, it seems like there's probably a lot of fairly tough conversations going on. So I thought maybe today we could dig into like, where are we seeing these happen and how do we deal with them? Yeah, I mean, we're seeing it literally everywhere right now. There <laughs> yeah. isn't a single founder, management team member, et cetera, that's saying, well, this is going to go well going forward. But, but, and that's not even just a matter of a moment in time. I think that every business hits an inflection point where it looks at itself and says, this might be it. This might be all the business is going to be, or maybe we raised too much money if you've raised money. And we're at a point where my deal isn't that good. You know, I took a low salary in order to get this thing started and I sacrificed a lot, but now I'm just a guy that's really underpaid. Right? Like, there's there's nothing magical about what I'm doing. I'm just not getting paid. And so how do you have that conversation? In this case, today, we'll talk about with your board to say, my deal sucks. Yeah, I've been at this for a long time. I've just been not getting paid, not to mention how much I sacrificed before we got to this point. And the sacrifices tend to be exponential, if not just accretive at best and exponential at worst in terms of that trade-off in terms of time and money, right? If you're consistently being underpaid. Also, and, and we don't always account for this, the job doesn't tend to get easier as the startup gets older and grows. Um, you know, even if it's not, you know, starting to, to generate massive net profit or something like that, the complexities of running the business often get more and more and more as time passes, right? Just that tends to be the nature of the beast, particularly post-funding as you take on new staff, more overheads, you know, broaden scope, all of these things tend to make your life more complicated. And if you're still making pre-seed salary in a company that's been well-funded or not, or it's not well-funded anymore, right? like it was well-funded at one point. Once upon a time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's that episode where Scrooge McDuck dives into the vault and he hits the bottom because somebody's <laughs> taking it all out, right? It's not a good feeling. The reason this has been so top of mind is because in the last quarter particularly the last quarter of 2022, but this isn't that new, but boy, it happened a lot in the last quarter of 2022, having a lot of conversations with founders that are saying, look, either I've been here for a long time, I'm in year eight, let's say, of my startup, and we raised some money, et cetera, but it's gone, or we built a startup. It's not a bad startup, but we've been doing it for long enough that it kind of just is what it is. And my incentive going forward just isn't that good. In the early days, in the early days when we we're first fundraising, we can make a case for kind of any package. You know, we can say, oh, I'm only going to make $90,000, which, you know, for a CEO, et cetera, obviously is extremely low. But we can make that case because we're like, oh, well, I've got less equity now, but it's a smaller piece of a bigger pie until that pie is actually baked, right? And then we actually know what this thing is or it's not. And we can say, hmm, actually, my deal just sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and so the question becomes, how do we actually go back to our board and have that discussion and actually make it work? 
And there's an actual process to it. Stuff that, Ryan, you and I take people through on a regular basis, and it works. A much more regular basis as of late, unfortunately. Yeah, like yeah. A lot oh my of shots on this goal, unfortunately. Unfortunately. But what happens is, let's say we've raised a bunch of money. Ryan, you and I are raising, right? And we've done round after round. Some of those rounds have preferences, which for those of you that aren't familiar, means that if we were to sell the company, the amount that investor has as a preference goes to them first or anything gets divided, and then we divide up the rest. So there could be enough preferences. If we had a $10 million preference on the cap table, that means someone's going to get $10 million before we start dividing any of the remainder. We may look at the business and say, this is only worth $10 million. Right. <laughs> so That yeah. means I'm going to get zero divided by how many people? Yeah, it doesn't work. You bet. So there's typically a few different situations that we're dealing with. And, and for those that are listening, that are starting to lean in a little bit, I'm sure one of these <laughs> applies to you. Number one, you raised a bunch of money and either you're buried in the cap table on preferences or how much you own in the company. Number two, the company's actually making some profit, but you're not allowed to get any because technically it all goes back to the company. Ryan, you and I have built this mythical company. Let's say it's a $5 million business, not what we expected it to be, but it's making a million dollars in profit. And as it stands right now, you and I can't touch any of that profit because it's supposed to stay within the company. Yep, stay in the company, drive growth, drive higher valuation, drive the next round of funding, drive an exit, whatever, to create liquidity for everyone else. Yep. Everyone else, right? And then the third situation is we just took a really low salary. And in many cases, we're probably working for a fraction of what we could otherwise get in the market. And maybe it's a combination of all of those. I was going to say, yeah, quite often it's, it's all three. Yeah. You bet. And so for a few of the situations we consulted in, it actually had a lot to do with the founders making good money, but they couldn't pull money out. I had a founder, this was a couple of years ago before things really went sideways. I had a founder who was who had a business doing $10 million in revenue, which is great, right? But about $2 million in profit, right? Really good. But he raised a bunch of money. Not so much money, not like you know tens of millions, you know, single digit millions. But because of that, he kept looking at it like, well, I guess the business makes money, but I don't make any money. I'm like, ah, time to change yeah. that deal, right? <laughs> let's, like, let's reshuffle the deck on that one real quick. 100%. The other is I start off with a crap salary and I do that because I want to show that I'm so invested in this company that salary is not important until it just becomes a job. And at which point you're looking at it going, I just get shit pay. Yeah. Yeah. If this is a short term run and it's like, this is my give, right? This is my skin in the game, right? This is, and we, we talk about this a lot. I mean, there are plenty of VCs who actually come out and said like, here are the maxes that we'll pay on a salary for a CEO at, at a given stage of funding. They're never generous. Some are, some are more <laughs> egregious than others, but they've actually come out and said like, here are the caps. And so that's fine when you're on an upward trajectory. Right. And because then the expectation is we'll hit another round of funding, we'll change that salary a bit, we'll hit another round of funding, we'll change that salary a bit. Maybe we'll get to a, you know, a series C, D, E, and even create a little bit of liquidity to take some money off the table. And that'll make up for all of this. But to your point, and sort of just statistics, most companies don't make it to those stages. It's just the, it's just the law of the way it works. And so you end up at that plateau that you're talking about, which again, it may not be bad, right? You know, we talk about startups failing. This isn't failing. This is succeeding. It's just not succeeding to a degree that allows you to extract the value that you'd hoped for financially, personally. And this can be a real pain in the ass. You know, if you're eight years into making half your market salary, 
it's a big deal, right? And, it's a big and if deal. there's no end to that in sight, it's an even bigger deal because how long do you keep sacrificing that without any any visibility on what we can do to change the trajectory of this thing? And sometimes it happens, right? You and I have seen businesses that have operated for five, seven, ten years at a relatively stable rate, and then something happens, something comes along. I mean, I don't remember how long Zoom was in business before the pandemic, but their business sure as shit changed when the pandemic hit, right? And so they had probably been fairly stable with some growth, and then all of a sudden the growth went exponential. So we don't know when these things will happen. We can't count on them, right? They're black swans, right? They're black swans. So this is an extremely painful situation to be in where you're just now at plateau, and you're giving up all that future value uh, that you could have been accumulating up until now with a higher salary market rate salary by simply foregoing it because we were supposed to grow. So what do we do now that we're not growing? Right. And what, what statistically happens when we raise money is we raise money hoping that we're going to be that black swan. And statistically, like 90% of the time or more, we're not going to be that company. It's the part nobody talks about, but that's that's part of it. We end up a Tyson chicken. Yeah. <laughs> and so within that, we're charged as the, the founders, the CEOs, management team, we're charged with now running this different vision. In many cases, the investors will probably never get out. You know, whatever they thought they were getting in for and the valuations they set are never going to happen. Now, it always gets in a little bit of a challenging situation to try to convince the investor that what they thought was going to happen didn't happen. It's a bit of an ego hit for us because we were trying to you know, get excited about that optimism. And now we got to kind of eat crow to say, I know I said it could be this, but now it actually is this. A real investor, people who do this for a living and aren't total a-holes will know this, right? Yeah. This is the way most of them go. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But- Statistically, you're going to run in a situation if you raise money where you raised money for a big outcome, the big outcome didn't happen, and now you're, you raised for X and now you're dealing with Y. So a big part of what we need to do is we need to reset expectations to what Y actually is. This is what we thought the world was going to be. This is what the world actually is now. And within that world, I'm pretty poorly come. Why in this case is why I need to get paid more if I'm going to keep doing this shit, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. So here's what we do. The first thing we do, step one, is we have to make sure that whomever we're going to present to as we go through this process, this doesn't feel like a nice to have. This is where people blow this thing up before they even yeah. get started. They, they show up and they say, it'd be really nice if I could get paid more. Hey guys, what do you think about, you know, you know, I had this funny idea the other day. Yeah. yeah. It's gonna it's yeah. gonna go exactly nowhere. It'd be really cool if we could reset the cap table. No one is going to be okay with that. It'd be really cool if you could just scale it and sell it, Will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your answer. Oh man, if we're upside down in the cap table, if we're upside down in the uh, in our salaries, if we're upside down in our incentive comp structures, you name it, whatever we're upside down in, no one is going to come to us and say, you know, guys, I don't know what you're thinking, but we really need to compensate you better. I free, I'm afraid you're not going to ask, so I'm just going to give it to you, right? Like that will never happen. Yeah, you got that house, you got those kids. You know, we were yeah. just thinking what you could probably use is a little extra scratch. Yeah, they're not coming to you with that. What doesn't happen is if we go and we make this a nice to have, it's as good as not asking at all. So the first thing we have to get into mentally in step one is to make this an absolutely binary decision. It has to be, I get this or I walk. Now, with a caveat, 
chances are if we don't get it, we probably won't walk. So it's a bit of a bluff. You know, every negotiation is. However, we need to know for our own sanity, if we are buried in the cap table and we're never going to see a penny, if we have no way to extract any of that profit we're making, if we have no way to get paid a market salary, wouldn't it be nice to know that? Because otherwise we're kind of sitting around hoping that maybe an angel will come and fix all this for us. That, that angel never comes. We need to know now where we stand. Yeah. And I think that, so I had this conversation, it's been probably two and a half, three months ago now with a founder, similar, similar situation. They had, they had reached a good level of revenue, but it was, you know, far less than the expectations and far less than what they needed to be able to kind of create any further liquidity in the company. So we, we suggested exactly this path, right? Which is that you go, you make it binary, you say, look, I, this isn't worth me doing anymore. I could go get a nine to five job and start making more money immediately with things like benefits and weekends. And so, you know, we suggested that and his concern at the time was, you know, well, what, you know, what, what happens, right? If, if they do, if they call the bluff and, and I said, well, would you actually walk away? And he said, well, I don't know. And I said, you don't know now because there's still a chance that they're going to say yes. And so I said, what you're going to have after the fact is some clarity. You may not get the answer you want, but what you'll have is now you'll have clarity and you'll know I have to continue at this suboptimal level or I have to bounce. It's a much easier decision to make at that point. So I think that there's, that's a really, really critical thing for founders listening to this is that until you get to that moment where you sort of intentionally force your own hand by forcing theirs and saying, hey, it's this way or the highway, it becomes easier to know whether you'd actually take the highway or not. When there's still this glimmer of hope, you still like, well, I don't know what I would do. When you're faced with the certainty, all of a sudden that, that question becomes a lot easier to answer. And the reality is, if this conversation isn't going to work, if, if you've gotten to this point where your comp is low, et cetera, you probably should go do something else. And again, easier said than done because job change and everything is very difficult, ton of friction, ton of emotion. Totally get that. The emotion, the ego, all of it, right? The team, if there's any left, right, depending on where you are in this. But again, the, the scenario we're talking about today isn't the wind down of the startup. This is a startup that, or a company at this point that is operationally sound. It is making money. It's just not making enough. It's not growing fast enough to do what it needs to do based on the choices you made historically. You know, something that's really funny about everything we talk about here is that none of it is new. Everything you're dealing with right now has been done a thousand times before you, which means the answer already exists. You may just not know it, but that's okay. That's kind of what we're here to do. We talk about this stuff on the show, but we actually solve these problems all day long at groups.startups.com. So if any of this sounds familiar, stop guessing about what to do. Let us just give you the answers to the test and be done with it. Typically what happens is the company becomes what it was going to become. So we all start off with the same business plan that says we're going to be four years and a hundred million dollars. Right. Have you, have you softened that? Yeah. Yeah. Most businesses are three to 5 million. I thought it was a hundred billion after five. Yeah, hundred billion. Yeah, you're right. You're right. hundred million revenue. But most businesses become three to $5 million businesses. The thing is, when you're uh, starting them, they can become anything. But after about seven years, you've usually become what you're going to become. And I think that's the hard part, particularly for investors to swallow, because they've still got you signed up basically for the big plan as well. And after a while, you just look around and say, mm, it wasn't a big plan. Now, this is particularly like notable 
when you've raised a god-awful amount of money, you've raised 50, 100 million, a billion, et cetera, and you're saying there's actually no way we're ever going to grow into the valuations that it took to raise that money. We'll never eclipse that. Yeah. It happens all the time. Okay. And so it is particularly happens as you raise more money, just because from a probability standpoint, the probability that you'll get to that, that outcome is, is very low. But regardless, you get to a point where the business just is what it is and probably what it's going to be. And yeah, it might grow a little bit in the future, but your comp situation, you know, where you stand, whether it's the cap table, whether it's a share of profits, whether it's your salary, is all messed up. Now, in, in a lot of cases, if you've raised a bunch of money and it looks like you're going to get nowhere near what you wanted to, then your percentage stake actually means nothing. Because again, you're they're sitting behind preferences or you're so behind in the cap table, you're never going to see a penny. Right. Or it's just unlikely to go liquid, right? It just, it just may never get there anyways. And maybe that's okay. Maybe you're like, you know what? I actually love the business. If I could get paid well, I'm good, right? But for a lot of folks, you know, it's far from that. So again, sometimes the comp structure. Another one that I'm seeing more often, which is kind of a good thing, is the companies actually do make money, but they don't get any of it. So uh, I've got a, I've got a buddy who's uh, running a company. He started, raised a few million dollars. He's got about three and a half, four million dollars in revenue, but it makes about a million in profit. But he can't touch any of that. And, and why is that for folks that aren't familiar? It's because once you have a board and once you have investors, that money kind of sits in the company as the company's money used to grow the company itself. And theoretically, that's what it would do. But more often than not, your business, your three, three and a half million dollar business, that's just what it is. It's just a three and a half million dollar business that throws off a million dollars. Ryan, if you and I own that business, we're happier than hell, right? But if we just work at the business and we watch it sit at this just kind of like third party account that doesn't benefit us at all, then we got no incentive. Yeah, no incentive. And you know, we, we see companies in this in the state all the time, right? Where they, they begin to accumulate cash. So cash obviously isn't the growth rate limiting factor here, right? That's not the case. If it was, they'd use the cash and they'd grow more and then we wouldn't be having this conversation. They can't figure out or the market size just wasn't big enough or the product market fit wasn't there with as big of a market as they thought. And so more cash isn't really going to fix the problem. They begin to accumulate it. You know, buddy of mine, they were sitting on like, $15 million in accumulated earnings in the company, right? They had raised a fair amount of money, a very significant amount of money. And, but this 15 million was locked up. They didn't have anywhere to spend it. There was like, we can't, there's no, we can, we can, we can go spend it, right? We can go waste it. We can go spend it on, on staff that we're not really what we're sure to do with, you know, maybe we'll rent some offices or something. Maybe we'll, you know, we'll, we'll spend it on a bunch of paid search. We know is not going to back out. We'll run some media campaigns, right? There were things they could have spent it on, but they had already played those out. They knew those weren't going to meaningfully contribute to, to bottom line or growth or top line. And so what's the point, right? You just end up in this super weird situation where there's plenty of money for an individual or a small founding team, but it's not enough to satisfy or even pay back the investors, right? It wasn't enough to pay back what they'd raised. And so people weren't gonna be like, well, yeah, you know, it's cool. You just go ahead and, you know, you take a mini retirement off this and we'll just write off the loss. That sounds fun, right? Nobody was saying that either. At some point, a conversation like that has to happen, right? Because there's no point in just accumulating money in an account that nobody can benefit from. Agreed. And so the second step then is we've got to figure out who we're going to take this binary decision to. So 
Here's the process. And this is the part that people tend to, to be unaware of. What we do is we pick off our friendlies, as we call them, within the board. Typically, the board distribution is always an odd number of people, and we're one of them. So let's say it's a five-person board, and we're one of the seats. And in this case, the four other seats are not one of your co-founders. There's always a spectrum of who's on your board, from someone that you like to someone that's a complete a-hole, always in every board. And my first question is, who's the a-hole? And they're like, oh, oh, well, it's it's actually Rick. And it's like, well, okay, we're going to go to Rick last, okay? <laughs> because I got to tell you, Rick ain't going to be on board with this process. <laughs> but there's always somebody that's more friendly. It's usually a person that you brought on the board or somebody you, you just maintain a good relationship with. And we start with them. We start with them because we're trying to kind of build consensus, but we also want to bring this idea to a person who's most malleable with their response. If we take it to Rick the a-hole and he's just like, go F yourself, that doesn't really get us very far. It doesn't. And in fact, I mean, it can be the end of it, right? Because then, yes, you could go to the others, but guess what? Rick's likely to have a conversation with the other board members in short order and begin swaying them in his direction. So to me, this is all about getting the pendulum moving in the direction we want it to move from the beginning. So to your point, start with somebody friendly, start with somebody that you know you can sway, not manipulate, right? We're not saying like, you know, pick pick the rube. We're saying, you know, start with somebody who will understand the situation for what it is and be interested in a beneficial outcome, right? And begin there, not with Rick. And the conversation looks like this. Let's say it's Shelly, right? Shelly's our, our cool friendly. Shelly, here's the deal. I'm 37 years old. I've just started a family. I haven't yet got a house. I'm thinking about like, putting kids through school and everything. I can't keep working like this. I can't put in the hours like this for the compensation. I have to make big boy money or I can't work here anymore. Now, I understand we thought this was going to be X. The situation is now Y. I totally get it. I am totally sober as to what happened, and I take full responsibility. But the situation is what it is. Here is what I need to be incentivized to keep working here. Here's what I need for salary. Here's what I need for incentive comp. Here's what I need for equity. And those are three levers that we're going to play with you know, throughout this discussion. Shelly, what I'm asking you is... How would you structure this? How would you help me uh, do it in a way that's fair, but also help me communicate this to the rest of the board members? So the goal here for the first friendly is to get Shelly on our side, but to also ask her if she can help us figure out what the package would be. Yeah. But we have to lead with, I can't do this anymore. I want to. I can't. I want to be here but this is no longer a tenable situation, right? I am taking on water or I'm at least not progressing the way that I need to be. Right? And, and everybody will understand that, right? Everyone had financial goals related to this. Difference between an investor, board member, founder is that the founder only has this opportunity, right? They're not doing something else, right? They're not, right, that one card to play and they're completely consumed by it. Whereas the investors may have 10 of the bets, five of the businesses, whatever it is, and good for them, right? But we have to, they have to bear in mind that right, the situation is extremely, extremely different for the founder. Let's talk for just a second, Will, about some of the levers that, that we have to pull here. You touched on them earlier, but I think that, you know, to your point around getting Shelly to help us figure out what the package looks like, let's talk about specifically what we mean by that. The levers that we have to pull, depending on the condition of the business, 
to re-incentivize the founder is really what we're talking about now. It's like, okay, I'm no longer incentivized at the level that we're at. You know, we planed out, we're here, I'm operating, I'm doing everything I can, nothing's changing. And so in order for me to stay this course, something does have to change. If the business isn't going to change, my financial relationship with the business has to change. So there's three levers in my mind, but what are, what are we playing with here? Put them in an order, because I think this will help as well. One, two, and three. I would say the number one thing, believe it or not, is salary. And I only say that because it's a guarantee. Cool. And it's the one that's the most immediately useful. Correct. That's, that's, that's really what I mean. I would say, I want my salary to change. Now, in a lot of cases, there's no money for our salary to change. Okay. Next up, I want my incentive, how much I could share in the profit. If there isn't any yet, if I make some, I need to know that if we make a million dollars, that I get X percentage of that. Obviously, I'm not getting paid what I should my salary. So I want to get it paid there. Cool. The third is, if I can't make those first two happen, and we're going in order of what I'll actually get, actually get paid, I'll need more equity. Because I'm down to X percentage in the cap table, and there's a bunch of preferences in front of me, I am guaranteed almost to never see any upside. So if you're saying you can't change my salary, and you can't change my cash comp, and you can't change my equity, then you're basically saying you don't want me here anymore. Exactly. You want me to keep doing this and create an outcome for you that I won't benefit from, right? Any less than market salary. Sounds reasonable. Right. And so I tend to look at it in those three states of progression. Now, I might look at it differently if I felt differently about the business and say, maybe I want more equity. Maybe that's what this is really about. Maybe my cash comp I can live with, but I, what I really want is more equity. And I've gotten trounced in the, in the cap table over multiple successive rounds. And so I want to be made whole again. That could certainly be something we're interested in. But that said, I want to make it clear that you got three levers and you could ask for more of all of them. You know, can't hurt to ask necessarily, but your conversation with the friendly is to, to do a few things. First, we want to make sure they understand that you have to make a change. In other words, here's why I need to make a change right now. Going back to your point, it's binary. This is not working for me anymore. Right. You bet. The second is I need to be able to say, here's what my target and here's what my goal is. And some people may be saying, well, I'm not sure what it is. Work backward. Think of a, of a theoretical package that they came back to you with. If you said, holy shit, that's actually really good. That's your package. What you don't want to do is say, what's the minimum that I would stick around for? Because that, that'll never turn out. It'll always be less than whatever you're about to ask for. And then you just landed below your minimum where you already were. So you're incrementally better and still not where you want to be. And the third is you want to ask Shelly or whoever this friendly is, am I insane? What I'm asking for with the message that I'm delivering, is there something about this where I'm just way off the mark? Because you know most people don't have a very good sense of self-awareness. They're like, you know, I think I should be getting a, paid a ton more. And Shelly comes back to you. He's like, dude, you know, the board's about to fire you, right? <laughs> like, I think you have. Yeah. This might be the wrong time to ask for a raise. Uh, yeah. Like uh, you haven't been doing real well, right? Why don't we shift this conversation to updating your resume? Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying though. Like if I already know that the powers that be that control me from ever making more money, not only don't want me to make more money, they kind of don't want me. Worth a convo. 
Worth a conversation. Yeah. That's one I think you can also sense check with a third party. I think before you even go to the board, I think you can talk to some other investors, maybe people that aren't in your cap table, some other founders, and get a little bit of a sense check before you come into that. Because you don't want a surprised look on your face when they come back with that. With that well, answer. The whole goal here is that you never go to everybody at once. So the first thing we do is we go to our friendly and we hash things out. We get a general gut check as to what we want is either feasible, the right timing, the right message, et cetera. So we massage the message. Then we go to our second most friendly. And this one's different because now we go as a team. It's not just us going. It's Shelly and I have both had this discussion and we agree that X, Y, Z. John, what do you think? And then John chimes in. But the difference is John knows that Shelly's already on board with this. So there's some outside validation. It's not just my opinion. Right, right. Okay, so you and Shelly, I'm okay with it. I, Rick's going to be a tough sell though. That guy's an Rick's always an a-hole, right? <laughs> but here's where it gets interesting. Let's say it's a five-person board. By the time John comes around, maybe he has a couple edits that he wants to make, et cetera. Guess what? We have a majority. We got three. Yep, we're good. We're good. Depending on your board docs, it, it may not be enough. You mean consensus, but then we go to the fourth person who maybe isn't quite the a-hole, but is no friendly either, right? But now we've got three people with basically, we've got a majority saying we want to get this done. And it's a little bit more assumed that it's done, right? All along, you've basically been having the conversation while you've been playing it as, hey, here's what we could talk about. You're really saying, these are my demands. She said, yes. He said, yes. Now, all you can do is basically go against all of us and you can do it, but you might not win. We have to show that the momentum is working against our less friendly members. Now, there's always going to be one or two people on the board that are typically like, go fuck yourself, right? Like you've been doing such a bad job. We're never getting our money back. You ruined this whole thing. You know, we are not on board, which is why we're building up to this. So we can kind of force that conversation. Here's a best case scenario when we show up in, in the boardroom, so to speak. There's three, maybe three and a half, four of us convincing one person. That's the situation we're looking for. Ideally, by the time we get to the board meeting, we've gotten everybody on board. And one thing we always say is, by the time you have the board meeting or whatever meeting you might have to make this official, you never want to guess how it's going to go. That decision should have already been spelled out, figured out, agreed upon, and the board meeting is nothing more than a formality. Whatever you know, vote you need to take or decision you need to make was already made. The last thing you want to do is flash a, a slide up during one of your board meetings, book. And oh, by the way, I think we should really renegotiate my comp. I can tell you how that's going to go. Not going to end well. Not, not, not going to end well. Not, not a happy finish to the board meeting. Yeah. Again, just recapping. Step one is making this a very binary decision, saying it has to happen. Step two is progressively walking through our friendlies and making sure that each person is on board, helping us shape the conversation and ideally the outcome. And also, if we're going to get dead stopped, I'd rather get dead stopped at person one or two than trying to present this to the whole board. Step three is once we've gotten anything close to consensus or ideally majority, depending again how your docs work, then we take it to the board decision and we have the conversation and decision then at which point we should not be surprised at what the outcome is. We should have already known going into it where we're gonna land. So in addition to all the stuff related to founder groups, you've also got full access to everything on startups.com. That includes all of our education tracks, which will be funding, 
customer acquisition, even how to manage your monthly finances. There's so much stuff in there. All of our software, including BizPlan for putting together detailed business plans and financials, LaunchRock for attracting early customers, and of course, Fundable for attracting investment capital. When you log into the startups.com site, you'll find all of these resources available.